0: Welcome to a refreshing podcast from Life Church. Get ready; the Word of God will be planted into your heart and will produce God's best in your life. The message today I'm going to share with you is called "Shielded," and I um, I feel the Lord wants to really just talk to you today through this message. And as we start with Genesis 15, I just wanna give you a little bit of a background to uh, this. If you read the the previous chapter, the 14th chapter, Abraham just finishes fighting a war, and he rescues his nephew Lot, right? And he defeats four kings. So Abraham is really kinda like on a high, okay? And I want you to think about that for a second think about a moment in your life when you felt like you were on a high All right, you got that think about a moment when you felt like things were clicking things were flowing Things were just exactly the way you wanted it to be. You just felt like you were there All Right, I believe Abraham Could have felt that way because he just rescued lot. He just defeated these kings and I believe he's on a high to some degree, but then it begins in the 15th chapter, and it says, and these things, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, that's very interesting to me because I would think that this word would come to Abraham before he fought this battle. Abraham just won the battle, and then a word comes to him, tells him, don't be afraid. Now, does that make sense? It doesn't really make sense in the natural. You would think if I'm gearing up for a battle, if I'm gearing up for a fight, that's when I need the word of the Lord spoken to me. That's when I would appreciate God saying to me, hey, don't be afraid. I'm with you. You're going to win this battle. But God doesn't speak to him in that moment. Abraham fights this battle. He wins this battle. The battle is over. He rescues Lot. And then the word of the Lord comes to him saying, hey, don't be afraid. That's very interesting. And it made me think about other moments in the scriptures where someone had a high, but there was something lurking on the background that you didn't see. And they were secretly afraid. I'm thinking of Elijah. Elijah called fire from heaven. He called fire from heaven. He had so many people against him, worshiping Baal, worshiping a false god. He said, let's put this to the test. Whose god is the real god? And then they did all this demonstration, and their god didn't answer, then Elijah called fire from heaven, and all of a sudden, God responded, and you can imagine Elijah is feeling great. He commanded people, he commanded the people of God to slaughter all the false prophets, all those who were serving Baal. I mean, this was a great victory. And then the next day, one woman, I don't say that disrespectfully, but I'm just letting you know that's what it is. One woman says, the same thing you did to these men? God do to me and more if I don't have your life? And that sent him in a terror, and he ran for his life. It doesn't make sense. How is it that one day you're on a high, you're experiencing a great victory, you've slaughtered all these false prophets, all these people that are worshiping false gods, and then one threat comes to you, and then all of a sudden, you forget about God. You forget about his power. You forget about the victory that you just experienced. <laughs> have you ever been on a high before? You felt like, man, I'm on top of the world. But then there's something lurking on the background, in the background, in your heart. There's a feeling you have that, uns- that keeps you at a place of un- being unsettled. You feel afraid. This is where I believe Abram was. Victorious, yes. Won a wonderful battle, yes. Got his nephew Lot rescued, yes. But he was still afraid of something. Isn't it amazing that you could have victory publicly, but secretly, in the quiet moments of your life, you're afraid of something. You could be on top of the world in everyone's eyes, but secretly, you go to bed afraid. Afraid of the future. Abraham had no problem defeating in in terms of war. He had no problem defeating his enemies. He had no problem fighting wars. He had no problem with that, but he was still afraid of something. What was Abraham afraid of? Isn't it amazing how you could be, again, fearless when it comes to things that most people would be afraid of, but when you go to bed, there's still something that you're fearful of that's Abraham's story and so God comes to him and says Abram I want you to know something don't be afraid I am your shield I'm your exceedingly great reward if you're afraid about anything right now I want you to realize this that the Lord is saying this to you I am your shield I'm your exceedingly great reward I want you to think about that, because God doesn't tell Abram to do something, and God doesn't even promise him anything off the bat. What God does is he introduces who he is, and if you're dealing with fear, you don't necessarily need a promise from God, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. That's cool. What you really need, you need to know who he is. And Abram was afraid. And what did God say? Don't be afraid. Why? I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. I am. That's who I am. And if you know who I am, forget about what I can do for you. Forget about what you're asking me for. Forget about that for a second. Forget about the things that you're afraid of. Forget about that. Forget about all of that. That doesn't really matter. What matters is who I am. And I want you to know that. I want you to know who I am. Because the key to overcoming quiet moments of fear is knowing who he is. Not God taking away the fear. Not God saying, I'm going to do this for you. No, I want you to know who I am. Once you discover who I am, the fear will go. And I want you to understand something today. God is saying this to you. I am your shield. Thank you, Father, for being a shield. And I am your exceedingly great reward. I am the payout. I am the payoff. I am the one who gives you what you're looking for. Forget about all the things you're looking for. I am that. Everything you could work for, I am that. Everything that you can need, I am that. Again, we're not gonna deal with the fear, we're not gonna deal with all those things that you want me to deal with. We'll deal with that later. I want to introduce you to me, and who I am is your shield and your exceedingly great reward. That's who he is to you today. Thank you, Father, for being my shield. Thank you for being my shield overcoming fear in the quiet moments. God reveals who he is before, before revealing what he will do. Genesis 15, 2 to 4. Let's move, read on. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abram is an older man. He has no children at the time not even ishmael for those who know the story ishmael wasn't born he has nothing but servants in his house abram here so so what was abraham afraid of think about that god spoke to him and says i'm your shield i'm your exceedingly great reward clearly abraham was concerned about his posterity he was concerned will i ever have children he was concerned will i ever have a legacy Will I ever have anything to pass down? So that's, that's why he asked the question, well, what are you going to give me? I mean, you're, you're saying you're my shield. You're saying that you're my exceedingly great reward. Well, that sounds great, but what are you going to give me? Seeing I go childless, and the only person that is an heir, in other words, if I was to die today, the person that would inherit everything I have is this servant, Eleazar of Damascus. Think about that. That's what's on his mind. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Can I tell you this? God's plan doesn't involve a surrogate. He wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through you. And many times when we don't have something, we sort of devise a plan and say, well, I know God is good. Maybe he means for it to come to pass this way. And notice what God said. He says, no, 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 no. Listen, what I want to do for you is going to come through your own body. God's plan for your life doesn't require a surrogate. God will do it through you. Thank you, Father. Do it through me. Anybody want God to do it through you? Yeah, yeah. A lot of times people live vicariously through other people. They dream through other people. They wish through other people. They're fulfilled through other people. And God is like, look, thank God for other people. But I want to do it for you, and I want to do it through you. I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. That's who I am today. Thank you, Father. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. Notice this is at night now. The sun is going down, I guess he can start he, maybe he, the, the stars are a little bit visible now, he, and, and he's starting to count, and he's like, "I, I can't count." He says, you, you, "You see how you can't count the stars that you see? This is what I want to do for you. I want to give you a visual. Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you were able to number them. And he said to them, "So shall your descendants be." And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. What does that mean? It means that Abraham, this is why Abraham is called the father of faith. Why? It's because God was about to start a new paradigm. Abraham was considered righteous simply because he was Believed, somebody say it loud. He became righteous simply because he believed. Now, if you fast forward to the Old Testament, the people of God in the Old Testament, Moses on, they weren't righteous simply because they believed. They were righteous if they lived righteously, if they followed the law, if they kept the commandments, if they kept the Sabbath. That's what made them righteous. But in Abraham's case, God said, no, no, no. I'm going to do something a little different here. You believe? I'm going to declare that you're righteous in my sight. And this is why we, as children of Abraham, follow in his same footsteps. How did you become righteous? You believed in Jesus. You said, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, and I accept you as my Savior. What happened? Immediately, immediately your nature changed. You were blood washed, blood bought. You were considered holy. You were considered a saint. You didn't do anything. You just became a Christian. It's not like you fasted. It's not like you did anything great. It doesn't make a difference. You were counted as righteous because you believed. This stems from Abraham. This is what we call the grace the grace of God that we receive through faith, simply believing that we receive the gift of righteousness in Jesus makes us righteous. So today I want you to know if you are a believer in Christ, God considers you righteous. That's Abraham. And he believed in the Lord And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? How am I going to know that I will inherit it? You know, there's some portions of scripture in the Bible that you'll see God doesn't even answer the question. This is one of them. He doesn't even really answer this question directly. He answers it, but not directly. Many times you'll see in the Bible, they'll come to Jesus or they'll come to God and they'll ask a question. And God seemingly just act like he's deaf and he just continues to talk about something else. And I, think, I think that to me is fascinating. You see this in the life of Gideon. Gideon had a visitation from the angel. The angel says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of God. And Gideon's like, How can I be a mighty man of God when all this is happening to my family? I'm not really, you know, I'm the weakest of my family line. And the angel completely disregards what he says. And he says, go in this might. Why does God sometimes ignore, why does he ignore certain questions? Because I believe certain questions, if he begins to entertain them, it would lead to more doubt. Well, what about this, Lord? Well, what about this, Lord? What about this? Well, how, how about this? So there are certain times God won't necessarily answer a question, but he will lead you to something, and that something will give you the answer. And we're going to see what that is. He leads him to something. So he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, which is a female cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon that seems kind of disjointed. God, I'm asking you a question. How shall I know that I'm going to inherit this land that you're giving me? Okay, I believe that I'm going to be, you know, you're going to create descendants out of my line. I believe I'm going to have children. Okay. I'm righteous there. Cool. But now you're giving me another promise. You're telling me that you're going to give me land. How, how will I know that I'm going to inherit this? And God just completely disregards that question and says, bring me some things to sacrifice. Bring me a heifer, bring me a a, 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 a young, a young a lamb, bring me all these animals, bring me a pigeon. I, I want you to just begin to worship. This is what God directs him to. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Here's what I want you to write here. God's answer to the question, how will I know, is often worship. That's the answer. Worship brings you into revelation of how things will happen. When you come to a place when you don't know how something's going to happen, here's my best advice to you. Instead of asking how, commit your life to a life of worship. Why? Worship creates the revelation in your spirit, man, as to how it's going to happen. Worship opens your understanding to the grandness of God. Worship opens you up to what he wants to do in your life. Lord, how will I know? That this is ever going to happen in my life. Stop asking how I will know. Begin worshiping. You'll find out soon enough. It's in worship that all of a sudden the questions begin to become clear to you. Because God becomes real to you. When people ask, how will I know, how will I know, how will I know, how is it going to happen? It's because you don't know God. You're trying to find out how this is going to happen. God is saying, I don't want you to figure out that. I want you to figure out me. Once you know who I am, these questions go away. How will I know, how will I know? That's irrelevant. What you need to know is I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. Know me. And all of those things will become apparent. This is why he doesn't answer the question. He's directing him to something. You know how when you were in class and if you had that teacher who you knew, obviously they knew the answer. And you were asking Lord, or you're asking the teacher, I don't understand this. What do I do? And they have a little funny smirk on their face. And you can tell they're trying to teach you something without telling you directly the answer. You're like, just tell me the answer. And, and they're like, well, you know what? You, you know what to do, and they're pointing you in a way that leads you to the, to the answer. Why? Because if you are just given the answer, you miss the whole picture. If God was to get, begin to entertain Abraham, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. At this time, at this year, I'm going to do it this way, I'm going to do it this way. Then Abraham would have been satisfied with that, but he would have missed understanding who God is. So here's what I want you to do, Abraham. Worship. Worship me, and you'll know how this is going to happen. But notice this. Notice something interesting happened while he brought these animals to sacrifice. Verse 11 says, "And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away." I don't think that's there by accident. I believe that when we live a life of worship, you have to be aware that there will be vultures. That will try to devour what you're presenting before the Lord. And Abraham did the right thing. He took the responsibility to drive them away. Think about that. These are vultures and these are dead animals. Why would Abraham care? What difference does it make? These are, these are dead animals. This is a carcass on the altar, and this is a vulture. Why does it matter to Abraham that I have to drive these vultures away so that they don't consume something that's already dead? doesn't make any sense when you think about it. Well, it does make sense when you understand what worship is. Worship is an act of death. Every time you worship, something is dying. Something is dying. Every time you deplete yourself before God, every time you release yourself, you empty yourself, something is being put on the altar, but there will be always vultures that want to say, no, 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 don't, don't, don't sacrifice this on the altar. I'll take this away for you. No, 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 no. You have the responsibility to drive away the vultures. And there will be spiritual distractions. There will be spiritual distractions that will pull you away from worship. You have the responsibility to drive it away. Because if you don't, you will miss the revelation of who God is. And if you miss the revelation of who God is, you'll always be asking God, how will I know? You'll always be wondering. There's certain questions you don't need to know the answer to if you just posture yourself in worship. It becomes very, very clear. God is your exceedingly great reward. He's your shield, and you're going to know that in worship. So if you're afraid today, if you have quiet moments of fear, and you're constantly battling these kinds of thoughts, how will this work out? How will this turn out? How will this end up? When will this happen? How come it hasn't happened? Lord, how are you going to work this situation out? Those questions often will not get answered when you think they when you want them to be. But if you would posture yourself in worship, it'll become very, very clear. No more fear in Jesus' name. God is your exceedingly great reward. He's your shield today. He wants to protect you. A shield, as you know, obviously is a protector, and it's not just some small little shield. It's a body protecting shield. God wants to surround you with a shield. As a matter of fact, is the scripture found in Psalms, uh, Psalm five, verse twelve: "For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. With favor." God's favor will surround you as with a shield. And you know how this works? This is something I believe the Lord wants me to really say this. Because sometimes you could be too preoccupied with worrying what other people are saying about you. Worried about if someone is secretly bringing down your name, even in a work environment. I I want you to be assured of something. God's favor around you will cause lies that are said about you to not stick. I used to be concerned because that's one of the things that I've I've prided myself and maybe even to a fault. Because sometimes it can get to, it, 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 it can go into becoming what the Bible would call overly righteous or self-righteous. I would pride myself in having a good name, right? And... My integrity has to be intact. That would be very, very important to me. And then what would happen is that it would, be, it would create a fear. What if someone says this about you? And then this person begins to believe it. And then this spreads. And da, 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 da. And, it, and all of a sudden, I used to deal with like, man, I have to make sure. So I would end up over-explaining myself. You ever been there before? Well, you have to make sure it's thoroughly clear. I want you to make sure that you understand. And and the Lord began to deal with me. You don't have to do all of that. If you believe that my favor surrounds you like a shield, you don't have to be concerned about people misunderstanding you, people lying on you, people mistreating you, because my favor will cause none of that to stick to you. He's your shield today. I see favor flowing your way. And it's a favor of God that shields you from things that will try to strip you of of your good name. Strip you of anything that God has to give to you. God's favor will protect you. That's what it means that he is your shield. Thank you, Father, for being a shield. You're in the contract negotiation. And you're concerned that someone's going to pull that away from you. Someone's going to come in by stealth and steal this deal away from you. No, no, no. You need to quote this scripture. No, no, no. God's favor will surround me like a shield. What's for me is for me. You are up for a promotion and you believe this promotion, you know, belongs to you. But you feel that there are people who want to keep you from having it. You don't need to worry. You don't have to be up all night. No, God's favor will surround me like a shield. I'm shielded in the name of the Lord. I'm shielded by God's favor. How do you know this? How do you actually come to this revelation? You come to this revelation through worship. Through worship. Psalm 91 I like this. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Let me read that one more time. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And now notice verse 2. I will say of the Lord. Notice, you're able to say something of the Lord because you've been abiding in his presence. You know, I know when people are not abiding in God's presence, simply because they don't know what to say about him. Well, and and I'm, not, I'm not, if you're starting here, you're starting here. So this is not, a, this is not a, a, a knock at where you are spiritually. But if you've been in the faith for a while, if you've been in the faith for a while, you should know more than just God is good. Amen. You should know more than just God is good. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. Or God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You should know more than that. And how do you know more than that? You don't need to know, and and it's good to know scriptures. I'm not talking about just knowing scriptures, though. You just need to know him personally. So when you're in worship, there are descriptive words you use because you have personal experience with him. You see, when Abram, for instance, was about to sacrifice his son Isaac later on, and God said, "No, no, no! Don't worry about it. You don't have to do that." The Bible says that Abram called that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will see to it, or the Lord who will provide. That was his. T- we we say it now, right? Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah- and that's wonderful. But that was a personal experience that he discovered in what? Worship. In worship, he discovered, oh, my God is a provider. And we're living off that. We made made songs off that. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And that's wonderful because I believe these revelations are there to bless the body of Christ. But God wants... He wants you to have personal experiences so that when you leave the presence of God you have names that no one else has named God. <laughs> you know how you might be in a relationship and you have certain pet names with for the person that you're with. Right? Usually it's the common names honey and you know boo and you know whatever sweetie but then you have that other name that most people don't know about. Right? you discover that in intimacy. You discover that when you are close with that individual. God wants you to have pet names for him. Yeah. That comes about in worship. And one of the things that you'll discover in worship is that he's your shield. He's your shield. Lord, I would have lost my mind in this season of my life had it not been for you being my shield. Lord, you're my shield. Lord, you've protected me and kept me when things seem to be going wrong on every side. Lord, somehow I made it through. You're my shield. Anybody have that kind of testimony? Lord, I really don't know how I made it through this year, but it's because of the shield that you are to me. You're my shield. You're my glory. You are these things to me. So now when a promise comes to you, the question isn't, Lord, how? It's I know how. Because I know you. Praise the Lord. You're going to know the Lord very intimately in the name of the Lord Jesus. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Why could He say this? Because He dwelt in the secret place of the Most High. He dwelt. Somebody say, He dwelt. That means he didn't visit. He wasn't a check-in. It wasn't just, hey, I'm stopping by. No, this is where he lived. He dwelt in the secret place of the Most High, and because he dwelt with the Lord, he had names for him. You know, if you live with people, you have certain names for them, right? right? Well, he lived with the Lord. He dwelt in the presence of God. That's why he could say, I will say, you are my fortress. I will say, you are my refuge. I will say, you are my shield. I will say, you are my buckler. I will say, you are my friend. I can say these things because I dwell with you. Yeah. That's what worship does. So when you're in that posture, you stop asking questions because you know who he is. I'm declaring new favor over your life. I love the scripture found in Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. I love that. He's a sun and a shield. Usually you need a shield from the sun. God is like, I'm both. I could be the sun and I could be the shield. (laughs) Whatever you need me to be, I can be that. Glory to God. I'm speaking that he's a sun and a shield over your life. That means he's the brightness of your life. Amen. Sometimes, you know, you ever, maybe you're driving and then that sun hits you so strong. What is it? It, it, it forces you to slow down, right? Put that visor down and slow down. I believe that that's the brightness of God. And I believe that when things are coming your way to distract you, God's son, his brightness will cause things to slow down. Slow down against you. Slow down. He's a son. He's the brightness of your future. And he's also your shield. And I love the fact that it says no good thing. Thank you Jesus. No good thing. Somebody say no good thing. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. I see favor over your life today in Jesus' name. How many need favor today? Yeah. God's favor is your portion. One of the ways that you grow in favor, because you can grow in favor, is to take your eyes you've been hearing me say this for some time but I, I want to just want to reiterate this take your eyes off of you and really let it rest squarely on Jesus he is the author of favor I don't know maybe you're like me but sometimes I can be very hard on myself anybody like that? you could beat yourself up Think about, man, I should have done this way. Some of you are not hard on yourself at all. That's good. You're like, (laughs) forget it. But you know what? That's good. That's a good thing. And if you're with someone who's like polar opposites of you, like, you could be be that kind of person that's like really hard on yourself, and you could be with someone who's like, whatever, ain't that serious. That person will frustrate you. Because you'll accuse them of, like, not caring. Don't you care? Please, I can't do anything about it anyway. What are we eating, you know? And then some people, like, you. no, I'm not eating. I lost my appetite. We got to get this straight. We got to get this fixed. And Jesus was like that. Jesus was someone who would sleep during a storm. Jesus didn't sweat things. He didn't care for things. He didn't hold on to things. And I believe that this is how you walk in favor Take your eyes off of you and let it rest squarely on Jesus. So if you haven't measured up in some way or you think you haven't, if you haven't finished a 2019 goal and you're kicking yourself because, man, December is right around the corner and I didn't finish my goal. Take your eyes off your goals. Take your eyes off your goals. Put your eyes on The one who is your exceedingly great reward. Your goal isn't your reward. Jesus is your reward. I know we're about to close out a decade and some of you felt like, man, I I dreamed I was going to be at a different place by this time. Okay, no problem. Maybe there's some things to learn. Maybe. But put your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, you are full of grace, full of truth. I take my eyes off of me, I rest it squarely on you, that's how the grace begins to flow. How does it stop flowing? When you make yourself the author of grace. You're not the author of it, take your eyes off of yourself. I see grace overcoming you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you feel overwhelmed, I feel led to say this. If you feel overwhelmed, take your eyes off of you. Take your eyes off of the circumstance. Let it rest squarely on Jesus. It's a wonderful scripture that I love. Peter, he goes to Jesus, and before he could even ask for what he was going to ask, the Bible says that, Jesus anticipated him. And what was Peter going to ask? He was going to ask Jesus for money to pay taxes. When you think about this, Peter came to Jesus, he was going to say, Jesus, we need to pay some taxes. We're behind on our taxes. And the Bible says that Jesus anticipated him. And he asked him a question. Before Peter can get the words out of his mouth, he said, Peter, the sons of the kingdom. Should they be exempt from paying taxes or not? And Peter said, you know what? You're right. We're the sons of the kingdom. We should be exempt. And then Jesus said, but you know what? So that we don't offend, I want you to go, right? Cast your, your fishing hook into the sea. That first fish that you take. Open its mouth, and you'll see money in it. Use that to pay taxes for you and for me. What I want you to see here is that Jesus anticipated the request. I have good news for you. The Lord is anticipating your request. He's never taken aback from it. There's, not, there's never a time you can be like, Jesus, this is the need, and he's like, oh, wow, my God, this is, this is serious. So, so how much was it again? Okay. No, he anticipates, and he's prepared to answer you. That's what you call grace. Take your eyes off of yourself. So the next time something unexpectedly comes, I want you to take this. I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I want you to do this. The next time something happens that kind of throws you off and you didn't realize, man, you know, like a need, like a, an urgent need. I want you to begin laughing. Yeah, I want you to begin laughing. Just as a sign that who are you, O great mountain? Just begin to laugh. Why? You are making a statement that this too shall bow at the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off the need. Take your eyes off the challenge. Let it rest squarely on Jesus. That's how the grace of God flows. Let me give you one more. This is not even part of my notes, but I just feel led to share this with you. This could seem like a counter of what I said, but it's not. So hear me with with ears of grace here, please. When the Lord instructs you to do something, do it. All right? If you haven't done it, start doing it. Okay? If you started and stopped, do it again. Grace is always flowing. It's that's never there is never a time where grace is not flowing. What happens is, is that sometimes we are not in the right place. I shared this analogy before. Anybody been to the airport before? All right. One of the most, for me, one of the things I, I just always get, a look because one time my luggage got lost. Ever, ever happened to you before? Thank God. Your, your luggage is going to a different city. You're like, Lord have mercy, what's going on? I remember I, had a, I was going to a wedding and I had my clothes and... And my clothes was in some, some other airport. I was mad. So I think from that point, you know, it's always like a little nerve-wracking. So you're, you're waiting at the baggage claim. And you ever been at the baggage claim? And it's like five minutes go by, right? And everybody's just picking up their bags and everyone's just <laughs> like, you know, and, it, and you're just like, oh, all right. So you know that scene. And you ever grab the wrong bag? Because a lot of bags look the same. So you think, oh, this is my bag. And you look around. It's not my bag. Right. What happens, though, the conveyor belt is still flowing. That's what grace is like. Your bag is on that conveyor belt. It's on that conveyor belt. But you have to just be in position. Don't try to grab another person's bag. Don't try to copy someone else. Everything you need in that bag is just for you. Think about it. The person could have a similar-looking bag, but if you grab that bag and it's not yours and you go home with it, not a good sight. I mean, you, you, I'm a man. You can have nothing but lingerie in there. You're like, this doesn't fit me. This is not, right? It looked like my bag, but it wasn't. The grace, though, is that conveyor belt. And God says, listen, I have your bag on that belt and it's flowing to you, it's flowing. It may be windy, it may, be, it may take time, just stay in position. It will come to you. But do what I've instructed you to do. That's how grace flows, amen? And this is where you don't have to, be con- you don't have to condemn yourself because if you haven't, it's okay. Acknowledge that you haven't and commit to doing better going forward that's how grace flows lord i want grace in my relationships here's a question for you do you honor god in your relationships lord i want grace in my finances do you honor god in your finances lord i want grace in this area awesome it's flowing to you it i I have no problem with it it's flowing But are you in position to receive what I'm sending you? Be in position and you'll never go without the grace of the Lord. So those are the two things I want to tell you right now. I just want you to do whatever the Lord instructed you to do. You will experience his grace in the name of Jesus. This concludes today's message. If you need prayer, want to give a donation, or would like more information about Life Church, visit us at www.nylifechurch.com.